I'm Jim White and welcome to a special lockdown edition of It's Friday, your guide to the best of arts, culture and entertainment without leaving the comfort of your own armchair. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google and leave us a review. And don't forget to sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk. This week, the chance to terrify ourselves in the new Truman Show-like domestic nightmare, Vivarium. Welcome to Yonder, a wonderful development. That guy was so strange. Yeah. Wait, no, no, I don't think this is the right way. Yeah, this is the way we came in. Number nine again. Hello? And we'll be enjoying the real banger from Dua Lupa. Plus the hidden gem that is the repair shop, now taken out from under the dust sheets of daytime TV and put in the shop window of primetime BBC One. Welcome to the repair shop, where much-loved but broken treasures... This is amazing. It is absolutely brilliant. ...are brought back to life. First, though, we're all stuck at home right now, with no chance to visit the cinema, the theatre or head camera phone to the ready to a pop concert. Thankfully, online there's a vast array of magnificent content to keep us all entertained. Now, joining me at an appropriate safe distance to tell us what they've found out on the vast expanses of the internet are the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner and the Daily Mail's television critic Claudia Connell. Uh, Brian, what have you discovered out there that's worth watching? <laughs> well, like everyone else, I've been surfing YouTube and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, I keep... Obviously, you know, we all need a bit of humour uh, at these times. And for humour, I keep coming back to Billy Connolly because, for me, he is the absolute master. And I, and I think a lot of stand-up comedians would say the same, really. And my, my sons, uh, you know, they love the, the kind of the new breed, like James A. Caster and what have you. But I think even those guys... Would, would say that Connolly, you know, is just the master of, of, of stand-up comedy. And I looked at his 2016 um, High Horse Tour video. You can get it on DVD. You can also f- find it on YouTube. You can, you can download it. Um, and, and, of course, this is, you know, subsequent to him getting Parkinson's disease and also um, a cancer um, but he, you know, so he's not a well man, which is the first thing he, he makes a joke about. Uh, and he comes on stage at the Hammersmith Apollo, and at first you're thinking, you look at him, and his his face is that kind of, you know, sort of slightly immobile because of his Parkinson's, and and his hands are shaking a little bit, and you think, oh Lord, you know, this is this is terrible because I remember him in his pomp. In fact, I went to see him live in Dundee in the 80s, and of course he was magnificent. But then, you know, before I don't know two or three minutes are out, you think, well, he's just the same old guy, and he is. He has got the audience in the palm of his hand and he is completely hilarious and totally brilliant. And that is an absolute tonic for these times we, we find ourselves in. Actually, I don't mind doing selfies, but please, if you ever meet me and you want a selfie, have your stuff ready. <laughs> don't make me stand there as you go through your bag looking for your camera. Because <laughs> it looks as if I've asked you to do it, you know? <laughs> You're absolutely right, Brian, about uh, the, the tonic that we get from watching uh, Billy Connolly on stage because he was the master. This is to be reminded that nobody could tell a story and, and you know, an incredibly long-winded tale, yet it would always come back. There would always be <laughs> the comic payoff at the end of it. 
it's it's just brilliant, Jim. He's he he is just fantastic at telling anecdotes. You know, and very often they're true. You know, they're about they're about his. He tells he talks about his cousins and his aunties and his, you know, and his wife Pamela Stevenson. And but on the other hand, you know, he's you know, so he's he's a master storyteller. But he's also just got some great one-liners. You know, he says in this. He says in this uh, in this stand-up act, you know, when you, when you, he's talking about how Pamela stopped him smoking, and he says, he says, we all know, and I, you know, f- forgive me, Scottish listeners, for my attempt at a Scottish a Glaswegian accent. He says, he says, but he says, we all know that when you light up a cigarette, God takes an hour off your life and gives it to Keith Richards. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's so, you know, and there's, there's so, you know, he can deliver two kind of jokes. And one-liners, but what he's best at, I think, are just his just his stories. You know about about seeing a guy in a in a really bad wig at Bangkok Airport, and he said it was it was so black and it was so sort of it was like a melted record on his head. You know, and that and there are kind of <laughs> there are there are novelists who look for for similes and metaphors and things like that and don't find them. You know, he's brilliant. Do you remember that classic um, audience with he did for ITV years ago? Yes, that, yeah. that's being repeated quite a lot by um, by Gold. So if you have Sky or Now TV, that's worth watching as well. And that was yeah, that was him at his best. Claudia, what have you found? Well, lots lots of artists are doing sort of gigs from home at the moment because they've had they they're self isolating and they've had tours cancelled. Chris Martin's done one, John Legend, I think Bono has something planned. But I I've been watching um, Keith Urban. He's he's doing what he calls Insta gigs. He's done a couple now from his his studio at home, and um, I watched his most recent one that he he, he did at his at his studio in um, he is in Nashville with his wife uh, Nicole Kidman, and uh, she also appears in it. She's sort of dancing in the background, and she does a bit of backing vocals, and she also acts as his not very capable roadie. He asks for a certain <laughs> guitar, and she doesn't know what it is, and so it's it, but it's actually it makes it quite sort of charming to watch i mean keith urban he's he's a huge huge star in america maybe not quite so well known here but he's he's a, a huge country star who's kind of he's a, a kiwi aussie both countries lay claim to him actually um but it's yeah he's had about half a million hits so far on this concert and he dedicates it all to, to healthcare workers and he takes requests while he's playing and he's, he's actually a really incredible musician and singer what i enjoyed about watching that claudia uh, was nicole kidman she just cannot keep away from the camera this no, is about her husband but she keeps cropping up in the background and then starts dancing and joining in the singing and everything it you know it's it's her she it's me 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 isn't it as soon as the camera's on she's there yeah, so at one stage, actually, he, he says, uh, Nicole Kidman or no Nicole Kidman, get out of my shots. And I'm not quite sure he was joking. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she's like his kind of Linda McCartney, really, isn't she? Oh, she's, God, yes, that's you know, a very good comparison. She, she's sort of, you know, she's clapping ever so slightly out of time. I mean, I'm a big fan of hers, actually, and I think she's a wonderful actress. And I, I just, I, you know, I just like her. But, but yeah, she's, she's there. She's, and I, I just kept thinking... Linda, this is Linda to to his Paul, definitely. She's all you know. sort of barefoot and dressed down, isn't she? No makeup, <laughs> no no shoes and socks. Yes, being a, a a country music star, he was a huge fan of Kenny Rogers, and he actually he pays tribute to Kenny Rogers, and he does a really terrific version of his uh, his track, The Gambler, which I, I think we may have a clip of. All summer's evening, train driving nowhere, met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring The window at the 
darkness to boredom overtook us and he began to speak he said son i made a life out of reading people's faces you mentioned uh, there, Claudia, that quite a number of, uh, of of stars are performing on stage. But I noticed on Twitter uh, that James Blunt got huge response uh, for his tweet saying that he wasn't going to do a concert and that he felt was the best way of helping everybody through the virus at the moment. Which, That's which, right. you know, yeah. I think we, we ought to tip our hat uh, to James Blunt at this point. Yes, he thought it'd be best for public morale if he stayed silent. Um, <laughs> he, he is very, very funny on Twitter, I have to say. Give him his due. He, he's good value on social media. Now, I'll tell you what I found, uh, which I, I, I sat through and really enjoyed, uh, was it's there on YouTube in its entirety, so you can quickly find it, is the opening ceremony of the 2012 London Olympics. And I went to it after the Tokyo Olympics was postponed. And, and and had a look through it. Um, now I'm going to show off horrendously here, and I do apologise for that. Uh, put put your put your fingers in your ears while I say this. It's the first time I've seen it because I was actually there in the stadium at the time. Uh, and uh, what what I have realised is what a great piece of television it was. Uh, I, I obviously didn't notice that at the time, and 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 this is it's so good that you get the many details of what was going on in the stadium and uh, and also that a kind of sense of the way uh, in which Danny Boyle had made it a big thought through drama I, I think it's a fantastic piece of drama and a fantastic piece of work ladies and gentlemen welcome to London and to the games of the 30th Olympiad to open our ceremony Olympic cyclist member of Team GB and Britain's first winner of the Tour de France, Bradley Wiggins. Just listen to the applause he's getting. Yes, I, I, I've been having a look at it as well, Jim, because it's, it's one of, a bit like we were talking about Conley and a bit like him, you know, it's just a, especially with the Olympics being postponed, it's just a real tonic to, to go back and have a look at that. Which is, and it's just like a, it's like a massive opera, isn't it? Writ large. Um, and what I love are the some of the background stories that I've been reading about. That ten thousand people were involved in that production, and they all kept the secret. So, you know, incredible stuff like the like the Queen, like the Queen, um, you know, the James Bond thing, and Mr. Bean, and all that stuff. It was all kept secret by ten thousand people, and they rehearsed in the middle of the night. And I mean, what a production! Really, really fantastic. There's been a bit of a sort of campaign uh, up and running uh, that the BBC should just rerun the whole of 2012 instead of uh, this summer's Olympics. And um, you know, this would be the perfect way uh, to start it. Um, I was sitting next to a Mexican reporter uh, in the stadium that time, and um, when Mr. Bean came on, you you, you mentioned him, Brian. When Mr. Bean came on for the, the Chariots of Fire pastiche that he does with the whole London Symphony Orchestra, Sir Simon Rattles conducting, and uh, Rowan Atkinson's in the middle there. Um, I honestly thought this guy was going to expire with laughter. I mean, he thought this was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. Maybe he needs to watch a bit of Billy Connolly. This was a reminder of the joy uh, that British culture can give to the world. It was it was great. I think it was, it was extraordinary because there, there was some 
concern, wasn't there? Because everyone was pointing out that we just didn't have the budget. We followed Beijing, who had obviously had so much money to throw at it, and we just didn't have that money. So everyone was thinking, oh, God, is it going to be embarrassing? Is it going to be all sort of like, you know, Morris dancers and wombles? Um, <laughs> but then it, it just became this extraordinary, yeah, yeah piece, piece of theatre, and it was it was funny, and it was, it was really emotional as well. So, yeah, I, I wish they would replay it. I think it would be incredible if they did. Okay, so that's uh, Billy Connolly that you can get on uh, YouTube. Keith Urban, how do you get him then, uh, Claudia? Just remind us of how just, you, just how go you onto log his on to his Instagram Keith. account. Just, just Google Keith Urban Instagram and it'll, and it'll come up. And then the opening ceremony of the London 2012, which is there on YouTube. And we'll be back next week uh, with some more recommendations. Join us then. Now, if there's one job where its practitioners should be used to self-isolation, it's being a novelist. And my guest this week is at the very top of that profession. Linwood Bartley was for years one of Canada's most read newspaper columnists before, in 2007, his novel No Time for Goodbye became an international bestseller. Since then, he's topped the sales charts on an annual basis with his taut, sharp and frankly terrifying thrillers. His latest is Elevator Pitch, about a crank taking over Manhattan's lifts for no good reason at all. And down the line from Ontario, he joins me now. Uh, we're all in self-isolation at the moment. I would imagine that's no change for a novelist, is it? That's how you spend your entire life. Well, it is kind of, but um, authors are allowed out of their cages once in a while, so... Uh it is a bit different, and the odd thing, the odd, strange thing is, is I uh, three weeks ago finished the, my novel that was for next year and sent it off to my publishers, and then I had a, sc a screenplay I was writing on spec that they asked me to tweak, and I got that done two weeks ago. And then I thought, well, now I'll have all this free time and go out and do whatever I want, and I can't. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm not. So I now that we now that I have the perfect kind of time to write, I'm not. Because uh, I have everything off my plate at the moment until I hear back from people. Now, you are the man of the moment because I believe that Chris Whitty, our uh, head of the chief medical officer of Great Britain, I believe was seen on the tube reading a book by Linwood Barclay. Yeah, the accident. Um, it's a white. I'm more surprised he wasn't reading the 23, which is a book about an entire town that comes becomes ill because of something in the water. I would be okay if he were to just not read me right now and just focus on the <laughs> pan. But but you know that's fine. I mean, it, it's that's what they, all all publicity is good. But the, this is the interesting thing about your your books is that they seek out catastrophe, unexpected problems in society. Did you ever see this coming? Well, you know, I, can, I guess we've all known that something like this could happen. I mean, this was either the stupidest thing to do or the smartest. I rewatched Steven Soderbergh's movie Contagion two nights oh, ago. Oh, don't go there. Don't go uh, there. So I'd seen it when it initially came out, and I was curious to watch it again because I thought, I wonder how prescient it really was. And it's astonishingly right on the money. And and part of me thinks, for, especially for those who are reluctant or not heeding the warnings about, you know, social distancing, they should be made to watch that movie. And your own book, books, you've often had problems, you know, you said a whole uh, town in isolation and, and so forth. Uh, your latest book is a sort of more mechanical failure than, uh, than a no. virus, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's um, uh, it's elevator pitch. In fact, I even I even have my I'm even drinking from my elevator pitch mug today. <laughs> um, uh, it's uh, it's about someone who's sabotaging elevators throughout Manhattan. Of course, in England, they kept saying, "Well, why didn't you call it lift pitch?" And of course, it plays on the the, the title is kind of a play on the the that term used in Hollywood, elevator pitch, which you know nobody calls it a lift pitch. It's it's where you kind of get onto an elevator with some producer, and they're going to get off the third floor, and that's how long you have to tell them your great idea for a movie. So that's where the phrase elevator pitch came from, and it seemed like it had a nice double play. But in fact, yeah, it is about a guy who's sabotaging somebody who's sabotaging elevators throughout Manhattan, and what that does to a city. When, you know, and, and there's hardly, there's very few cities in the world that are as vertical as New York. What happens to a city like that when nobody feels they can step into an elevator safely? So, um, and it's, it seemed to strike a chord. I think it presented a kind of intersection of phobias of, of uh, loss of control, claustrophobia, fear of heights. All of those things seem to come together in an elevator. So, yeah, that was the latest. An elevator pitch is you've got. 30 seconds isn't it to deliver what yeah. you're trying to do um is that w- what you have to do as a novelist almost i mean obviously you've got the you've got the luxury of the of the pages when the novel comes out but when you're selling it are you delivering an elevator pitch i think so i think that you really need to be able to communicate in a hurry what your book is about you know on a on, on the jacket liner or on the you know whatever whether it's telling somebody i think you need to be able to tell people very quickly what is this about and and i think part of that is is you know we have a much seem to have a much shorter attention span now and we also i think in many ways that our greatest competition for novelists are some of the best television that's ever been made is being made now and you can consume it like a book you can binge watch it chapter after chapter so i feel that as a as a writer of novels i need to be able to 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 sell an idea to you that's going to be so intriguing that maybe you'll turn off the tv for a while yeah that is the the, what you're up against uh, now we're all stuck at home why would we read you? Give us, give us your elevator pitch of why we should read a Linwood Barclay. Well, it'll it, you might read about people who are having an even more problems than you are. So, <laughs> that's always helpful. <laughs> so that might be that might be a bit of a solace to think you know we're stuck in here. We don't know what's going on outside the door, but let's read about people having an even bigger problem. And I think that we need distractions now as much as we ever have. I mean, we're. I spent 30 years in newspapers, so I'm kind of a news junkie. So I have the TV on way too much watching CNN and what's going on. And probably the smartest thing I could do would be to just turn it off for a while. I could check in a couple times a day and just see where we're at. But um, I think we need a little bit of escape right now, too. That is the oddity about these times um, for a novelist, particularly a novelist uh, of your own sort, a thriller writer, is coming up with something that, seems you know different from what we've got i mean we are in the middle of a novel at the moment aren't we we're living at a time where just about any fantastical idea that you might have for a book will be overtaken by reality i mean even even in other aspects i mean if three years ago you were to write about a president who brags about the size of his member or all these other things or, or, or cat calls the press the enemy of the people, all these sort of things. I mean, if you were to write that then, uh, people would say, well, that's just unbelievable. Like, nobody will buy that. And now we're living in a time where simply unimaginable things are happening and unimaginable 
things are being written off as the new normal. So as a, as a writer, that's a challenge. Maybe it's a challenge isn't to try to outdo that, but to try to, to tap into it and try to understand it. And you've just finished your latest book. Uh, what, what, what's that about? Well, it's funny. I have two books. I actually have two books written. The, the one that's, uh, I'm, I'm reluctant to talk about the one that I've just finished because it's such an interesting plot idea. I'm just going to keep, keep the lid on it for a while. Are you superstitious about letting well, it go? I just think it's, too, it's a little early. I think, I, first of all, I want my publishers, my editors to all read it first, and then I think I might talk about it. I have done another book that we're sort of deciding what to do with because, you know, I tend to do I, maybe a thriller like Elevator Pitch or what we would sometimes call a domestic thriller or things happening to ordinary people that are rather extraordinary. But I have written a thriller that's more what I would call a Michael Crichton kind of a thriller that's a little bit out of my lane. And uh, we're just deciding when to bring that one out. We think we'll bring it out as a kind of an extra because it's not the kind of book people might typically expect from me. I describe it as think, think Jurassic Park, but instead of dinosaurs, it's self-driving cars. Oh, I'm scared already. <laughs> you have, think of an island community that's going to become a test site for because the best way to test self-driving cars is if every single car on the road is one and they all talk together there's like a little ant colony there they all know each other they know what they're doing so everybody surrenders their real cars regular cars to the mainland and and we have this test and right in the middle of the test the virus gets introduced into the system and all the cars become homicidal so it's kind of like a thousand christines <laughs> and uh so that book's written i have that that's finished and I'm just, we're just waiting for kind of a right slot to come out with that because it's, as I say, it's a little different than what I usually do. I know a man who cannot wait for that. Unfortunately, he's a bit busy at the moment, Chris Whitty, but I'm sure he'll be, uh, he'll be, he'll be buying that one. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been brilliant talking to you. Well, and I would say to you, stay, stay well, stay safe. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where the Daily Mail's critics weigh up the latest releases and give us the inside track on what's worth catching and what's best to keep at more than two metres distance. First up, the Daily Mail's film critic, Brian Viner. Yes, all, all the cinemas are closed and uh, all my screenings have been cancelled. So we haven't yet got to the point where some of the big distributors or all of the big distributors are releasing their new releases online. But I, I think that moment might well come, and I, I hope it does, really. Um, but in the meantime, you know, there's plenty of new stuff that you can catch on various digital platforms. And there's a film this week called Vivarium, which I think is available on Sky Store. It's available on Curzon Home Cinema. and It's by an Irish director called Lorcan Finnegan. It is a, a sort of a, a horror film, sort of a sort of a thriller. It's, it's very nicely done. It's, um, it stars Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg, who are both terrific. Um, they play a young couple who, are, who want to buy a house together, and they're shown by a very strange estate agent, a greenhouse, which is in a community of green houses, all absolutely identical in identical streets. You know, they go in there, and then he sort of he seems to suddenly disappear, and they think, well, we don't really want to live here, so let's go. And they get into their car outside, and off they drive. But hey, presto, they can't get out of this development, this housing development, and they end up being trapped uh, in this house. Let's let's first listen to a clip. What's happening? Maybe they'll let us go. What if they don't come? What are we supposed to do? 
Should we just sit here and we wait to die? Uh, Brian, it seemed to me that uh, that there was a real vibe about the Truman Show. I mean, I've just seen a, a yeah. trailer for it, but it had a real feeling of that. Yeah, there's a, definitely um, echoes of the Truman Show, which was that fabulous Peter Weir um, film in, uh, what, about 20 years, 1998, I think it was. Uh, also a, a George Clooney film called Suburbicon from about three years ago, which both of which seem to be sort of uh, satires on you know, uh, suburbia. And that's what this feels like at first, but actually gradually it becomes more and more sinister because a baby arrives in a box and they're told that if they raise this baby, they'll be set free. But he grows up to be, do you remember that that film, The Boys, Boys from Brazil? He ends up being this rather kind of sinister, sort of clone-like uh, mm-hmm. character who, who can mimic them very, very unnervingly and very accurately. And Gemma can't quite suppress her maternal instincts towards this boy, but Tom kind of is is very, very suspicious of him, and it gets more and more sinister. I, I wasn't totally sure what the message of this film was and exactly what it was trying to tell us, but it's very compelling um, and, and actually really well done by two very good actors who are pretty much on their own, apart from the boy and the this weird estate agent at the beginning. So from that point of view, it's not like the Truman Show. You know, it's definitely well worth sitting down to and, um, you know, investing in for a couple of hours, or actually less than a couple of hours. It's quite concise. So, um, I, yeah. Always I, a good I, thing in a movie. Absolutely, yeah. We could do with more of that. Um, the cinematography is very good. You know, to your question, which I'm just recklessly anticipating, Jim, is it a hit or a miss? I will say a hit. Uh, and what else have you found this week then, uh, Brian? There's another film which is out on Amazon Prime and it's called The Jesus Rolls, although I think we're probably expected to call it The Jesus Rolls because it's directed by and written by and stars John Turturro, who you will remember played a, a, a sort of a very strange kind of dissolute um, ten-pin bowling King in the in the Coen Brothers uh, comedy The Big Lebowski. I'm, I'm sure you remember that. Jim. I do remember um, that. He was magnificent. He was wonderful, but he didn't have much of a role. So what he's done here is he's taken that character uh, and expanded it into and and made it the sort of central character in this in this film. But what he's also done is it, it's sort of a remake. There was a there was a French film called Going Places back in 1974. And it's a sort of a remake of that. So it's him, the Totoro character, who goes on this kind of petty crime road trip with his best friend who meets him out of jail because at the beginning of the thing he's in jail. His best friend played by Bobby Cannavale. And off they go on this kind of road trip and they're, and they're stealing cars and they're breaking into houses. And they meet up with a, a woman played by Audrey Tattoo who's, who's terrific. And Christopher Walken is in it and Susan Sarandon is in it and John Hamm. You know, great, really good actors, a really good cast. Are you a little old to be stealing cars? Jesus! I thought you were in a slammer. Just so you celebrated by stealing my car. That was the first thing you did. Well, I, I can't hack it in the home. Should have thought of that first. Oh, oh. right here. On the road, flat broke, hanging loose. You look a fit up. No, no, no. You're beautiful. I almost want to touch you. So I came, sat down to this, paid my £5.99 to watch it on the... Uh, Amazon Prime or, or whatever it was, and uh, and thought, well, this is going to be 
is going to be great. And it isn't. It just isn't. Oh. It's a dud. The acting is rather hammy. Uh, Totoro's fine, but Cannavale and Audrey Tattoo in particular are terribly hammy, almost as, as though they've been directed, you know, that way. And it's not funny. It doesn't, it's just not entertaining. You think, you know, it's, it's a bit crass and it's a real shame, a real waste. So um, the Coen brothers apparently gave to Toro their permission to expand this character and uh, they might be wishing they hadn't because, uh, you know, it really is, it's, it's not something I recommend at all. And uh, so hit or a miss then, Brian. So I'm going to have to say it is a miss. <laughs> Now, Adrian, Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic, will tell us what we might get Alexa to download for us this week. No live concerts, you're stuck at home, but music must be ringing around your your living room, I would have thought. Well, it is indeed, and the new release schedule shows no sign of being particularly badly affected by the coronavirus. There's, uh, In fact, there's, there's actually much more music out and about than in terms of all the isolation duets and musicians such as uh, Chris Martin and John Legend doing concerts from their living rooms. And, and I mean, we'll put Madonna's Sermon from the Bath side for a minute, but there's been, <laughs> some, quite, there's been some pretty good stuff. I'm enjoying the Gary Barlow duets. There was a really good one with Beverly lights up the day. Yep. Just quickly on Madonna, uh, Adrian, she really does now. I mean, sitting in her bus singing, she really does look like a kind of you're looking through a, 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 at a picture of Madonna as she used to look, but with your eyes half shut. It was a very, very weird sensation watching that video. Like I used to say, at the end of human nature, every night we're all in the same boat. It goes down. We're all going down together. It was a very strange thing, very bizarre all round, and the um, the version she put up of Vogue as well with "Let's go out and eat some fried fish" was uh, was was just bizarre but uh, but against that there's been some very funny stuff put up by you know, liam gallagher doing his sopasonic and champagne sopanova posts from his sink and and, and as i said the uh, the gary barlow duets all um all kind of entertaining throwaway stuff um, okay but, but what what's new what's new out but there is there's some serious yeah, there's people are releasing albums and uh there's, there's a couple of really good ones this week actually the first is the uh one of the most eagerly anticipated pop albums of the year, which is Dua Lipa's second album, Future Nostalgia. So Dua Lipa, she broke through three years ago with her self-titled debut. She's a massive hit single with with New Rules. And uh, she's um, come up with a sequel. She admitted this week she felt slightly conflicted about putting out a new album at, at such a difficult time. But I think her instincts, you know, you can understand that. But I think um, she, she's done the right thing in, in going ahead because I think we need music to spread a little bit of, you know, a little bit of joy. And, and this is a real, it's an album of escapist disco bangers, really. It's a really upbeat song. There's um, there's a brilliant single came out a couple of weeks ago called Don't Start Now. There's uh, quite an interesting track called Break My Heart, which uses the riff of In Excess's um, Need You Tonight. And it's, it's really upbeat. It's really well produced. She's got a couple of very you know, top-notch producers on board in Stuart Price and Jeff Basker. It's something that will just, you know, lighten the mood a little in these difficult times. And um, I think we're going to hear the title track, actually, to give us an indication of, of what she's all about. Myself, myself, myself. Yeah. 
Well, that is definitely going to get us bouncing around our uh, kitchens, Adrian. Uh, hit or a miss, then? This, this one's a real banger, and I'd go for a hit. And what else have you got for us new this week, Adrian? So, on a slightly more mellow note, there's a new album by a, a Nashville jazz singer called Candace Springs. Um, it's called The Women Who Raised Me, and it's a, a homage to the various female singers who influenced her during her formative years. She's got a lovely mellow jazz soul voice. It was a, there's a voice that um, Prince, who was a big fan of hers, said it's a voice that can melt snow. And she she covers a range of jazz and pop standards. Some of them are a little obvious. She does, um, I put a spell on you, um, you know, looking to Nina Simone's version. Bonnie Raitt's brilliant, I Can Make You Love Me, Roberta Flack's Killing Me Softly, Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit. I mean, they're slightly obvious choices, but there's a few other things on there that are actually a bit more interesting, and they really kind of showcase her voice. I think the one we're going to hear now is Solitude, which is a Duke Ellington standard. In my It's a soulful voice, uh, Adrian. Yeah, it's really kind of mellow. That was a song. It's associated with the, um, the American jazz singer Carmen McRae. And she's got a lovely kind of a supple voice. She's got a great band in there. I think the there was a saxophonist, Chris Potter, on that track. And it's um, rather like Nora Jones' Come Away With Me. It's it kind of helped soothe the the jangled nerves of America in the wake of the 9-11 terror attacks. And maybe this might even take on a kind of similar similar mood here in that it's it's a very soothing, mellow, easy listening album. Um, she's got a lovely voice. And I think she's a singer who is going to be around for a few years to come. So at this time, perfectly timed, it's going to mellow us all out. Hit or a miss, Adrian? It's a hit. And finally, Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television critic. Uh, well, this all stuck at home, Claudia. This should really be television's time to keep the nation sane. Is it rising to the challenge? Well, it is. I mean, ratings have been absolutely through the roof. I mean, and sort of programmes are all adding about about three million extra extra viewers and there's some there's some great new dramas coming up as well this wednesday on sky atlantic save me is coming back it's a returning drama but people might not remember it from the first time around because it was over two years ago big gaps between sequels is, is happening a lot in tv dramas and it's you know it's a huge ask of the audience i think so needless to say this first episode opens with a, a hell of a recap the drama was written by the actor lenny james and he's also the star um he plays nelly this sort of womanizing deadbeat dad he's estranged from his teenage daughter when she goes missing and at first he is suspected of being involved in her disappearance but when it becomes clear that he's not he then sets out to try and find and rescue his daughter and sort of step up and do the one decent thing he's ever done for his child and um i think we have a little clip here I'm gonna give this one one more night. This is Gideon. Please leave a message. 
The item is mine to sell. I had a coffee with your wife today. What you know about Jody, that's all this has to be about. Grace, the kid he had chained. She's right under this. You only want me in there so you can get Jody. It ain't just that. Don't go on like that with me. Unbelievable. I don't want Jody to be dead. She's not dead. She's not. This is not the end of it. We got an indication there, uh, Claudia. It is a heck of a cast. We got uh, Stephen Graham, Saran Jones, Leslie Manville. Is that is that the reason that it took so long to come back on our screens to, and, to get all their schedules to 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 marry up? And yeah, Adrian Edmondson is in there as well. That that has to be the reason. Yes, yeah, it's it's a two year delay. Those are those are a, a big big names who have all been in TV dramas since then. So that I would imagine that that was the problem that they just had to wait until they could coordinate all of their schedules. And, and do they work together? Is it is it work as a drama? Uh, yeah, I think it's. I mean, I, I I loved it the first time that it was on, and this new series looks looks really promising. There was um, people that watched it right remember that it, it ended with a breakthrough. It looked like he knew where his daughter was. She was being held by child traffickers, and although he wasn't able to save her, he was able to save another young girl. And in this first episode, one of the traffickers is, is murdered, and and Nelly, who is a very he's a very volatile and he's a very flawed individual, and he is the sort of the chief suspect. So this series looks like. Being a cracker as well. So a hit or a miss? Oh, it's a hit. Uh, what else uh, is good that's coming up on, on TV? Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about the repair shop. Now, this show has sort of been bumbling around for a few years now, and mostly it's on in the daytime, so not many people see it. But um, as the BBC have lost a lot of their content, they've bumped it up to primetime BBC One, and it's it's doing great business. It's pulling in about six million viewers, and um, it's easy to understand why. Um, the repair shop is, is this old thatched barn that's set in Sussex, and it's staffed with these really skilled heritage craftsmen who just fix family heirlooms. So members of the public go in and we learn the stories behind the items. And it's, it's just really sort of enchanting. Um, there's a lovely episode coming up this Wednesday and I think we have a clip here. Welcome to my universe. It's pretty marvellous. Furniture restorer Jay Blades. It's so nice that we can be part of that kind of history to just keep things going. And a dream team of some of the country's most skilled craftspeople. I'm having a lot of fun and I'm really liking the end result. Sounds like teamwork. Bring their talents to bear on beloved pieces of family history. Look at that. I'm liking what I see. Yes. Sadly, the nostalgia of actually being able to go into a shop. You know, do you remember those days, Claudia? Oh, God, they seem so long ago, don't they? <laughs> it's, um, in, in this episode, there's a, there's a lovely story. A lady takes in an oil painting of her mother and her dad, who was serving overseas during World War II, he bartered some of his rations to get an artist to paint this portrait from a, a sort of a, an old photograph he had. And 75 years on, it needs restoring. So there's, there's an old chair that has an incredible story behind it, a music box, a stained glass window. And they're all restored with sort of painstaking detail. And it's just this really lovely sort of gentle program. It's I think if people are feeling a bit a bit gloomy and a bit down at the moment, it's, it's the perfect antidote. So it's really it's it's really yeah really delightful so it's the human stories behind yes. the object yeah it's a bit like the antiques roadshow but just obviously these their items are all repaired and restored and it's just their reaction at the end you know it's it's lovely so a hit or a miss this is a hit 
Well, now you know what's worth downloading and, in truth, what should be left on the doorstep with the recycling. My thanks to Brian, Claudia and Adrian. It's not just Britain that's in lockdown to protect its citizens from the virus. New York appears to be the epicentre of the outbreak in the United States. And from her flat overlooking the Hudson, I'm joined by the Mail's own Jackie Stephen to tell us how she is keeping sane in self-isolation. And how are you doing, Jackie? It's not too bad. You know, I'm alive. That's the, the main thing at the moment. Um, I'm catching up with what all the celebrities have been saying about coronavirus. And that's always entertaining. You can always guarantee the celebrities will come out as being really stupid during crises like this. Because <laughs> they're all trying to outdo each other. So we had Kirst Alley of Cheers Fame, who congratulated Trump on the way he's handling it. And she was immediately denounced on social media because Trump isn't handling it well. He said everything will be up and running by Easter because it's a beautiful time. Well, the virus dictates when it's a beautiful time, not him. And his daughter Tiffany, she said, oh, it'll all be over in seven days, and Trump retweeted it. That She's so desperate for Daddy's approval, that girl, because she knows she's the least favourite child. So she'll <laughs> say anything. And then we've got Courtney Kardashian saying that God's punishing us for our evil ways. Now, as far as I'm concerned, he's punished us enough already by inflicting all the Kardashians. <laughs> now, Jackie, last week you were talking about how you'd taken the opportunity to really catch up on your sort of cultural life and you were downloading stuff from uh, all sorts of places. Um, but you've gone one better and you've actually started your own TV channel, haven't you? I have indeed. And it's rather fun. It's called Jackie's Box, which that title actually came from a rugby box that I set up many years ago in Cardiff. But I kept the title because obviously now it means it's a television box as opposed to a sporting box. And I've made four little films on it. One on Mother's Day. So I lost my mother last year. So there's a sad one. But there are also some fun ones on it. I've done one about uh, gravity for the coronavirus age in which I test the apple and I test a banana, interestingly. So that's a fun one. I also do the Corona Sermon on it, which is what the Bible can teach us in these Corona times, like how to turn water into wine, for example. Very useful skill. <laughs> Incredibly useful. But it's interesting to see how people are adapting to the, the new normal. For example, drive-in movie theatres are suddenly making a comeback. They've been enjoying something of a revival anyway, and there are 305 of them still in the United States. And in Austin, Texas, uh, this week, they had about 35 people come along in their cars with their children uh, to watch uh, short films, because there was supposed to be a short film festival in Austin, and they couldn't have the festival. Festivals, you know, even the Tribeca Film Festival in New York has been cancelled. So people went along in their cars, and it's just fascinating. People are almost going back to an old-fashioned way of living and rediscovering old pleasures. I'm reading more than I've ever read in my entire life. Uh, I'm catching up on TV stuff as well. My local jazz club, they're putting archive shows online. I think that what's interesting is that Given that everything's available online, when we return to normal, if we ever do, whether we're actually going to want to pay all this money, why couldn't all of these organisations provide it all for us for free anyway? <laughs> you sound as though you're enjoying it, Jackie. 
I'm not doing too badly, to be honest. I, I've got into a routine. Initially, I found it very difficult, like I say, because I live alone. But I, I FaceTime people. And I think it's very important for people to have a routine. So I get up in the morning. I have my two cups of tea. I do my meditation. I go for a run. I don't go into parks, but I've got a pier right by where I live on the Hudson. So I do a couple of routes around the pier. Uh, I come back, I run up and down the stairs a few times, I do my weights, uh, I cook myself a nice meal twice a day, I've lost a bit of weight, and I'm just sort of thinking, this, we have no control over this, so you may as well try and have a little bit of control over the aspects of your life that you can control, which are eating healthily, trying to exercise, and although... It's a little bit strange that I live alone. I'm glad that I don't have six children running around me screaming. Uh, very good advice, Jackie. And as part of uh, your routine, I hope you're going to join us again next week uh, with some more advice. I hope so. I really look forward to it. Thanks so much, Jackie. OK, take care. And that's it from It's Friday. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And if you'd like to drop us a line, we're on It's Friday at mailplus.co.uk. Until next week, I'm Jim White. Stay safe.